1: Welcome
2: back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always by my co-host, Nick Bellato. Tonight, we are here to break down the tight end position in the 2022 NFL Draft. Before we do that, though, Nick, I do want to say a few. First, I want to ask you a question that I posed on Twitter and we got a different answer for. I was actually going to ask our guest, and I still might ask him. But I want to get the banter going early because we just had such a totally different answer. And we always hear from our listeners, why don't you and Nick disagree more? We probably should disagree more. We have had some disagreements on the Giants, though. It's not like we don't ever disagree. Like if you listen to the podcast, we have a few disagreements from here, to, here and there, even on some players in this class, which we might get to in this tight end preview, by the way, because I don't, you know, I don't, we'll, we'll talk about it then, but I don't t- necessarily see it with some of these tight ends. Um, as far as translating to the next level goes. Obviously, they were good at college, and they showed some traits against the college-level defenders they play against. But question was posed on Twitter that I put out there. Right now, somebody walks up to you with a br- two briefcases, Nick. One briefcase has a million dollars. All you have to do is say, yes, give me that million dollars, and it's yours. The other briefcase has a billion dollars in it, one billion dollars. You don't get that briefcase for sure. The one million-dollar briefcase gets thrown out or returned to its – rightful owner. And now a coin flip is done. You can pick heads or tails. If you win your coin flip, you get a billion. If you lose, you get nothing. You lock in, take a million. I lock in, take a billion. Don't even think about it. How are we so different on this
1: one? Me? I'm just going to be pragmatic here. All I have to do, Dan, is say yes. And I'm a million dollars richer a million freaking dollars richer. I don't want to take the risk. And I understand that the odds are still in my favor. And the return would be massive if I were to get that billion dollars. But just to say yes, and I'm a million dollars richer. I mean, I am totally fine with that because if I said no and it did not flip my way, I would want to jump. I would want to do something really bad. Let's just say that.
2: I understand that line. And look, a lot of people responded, had some, had some interesting and some funny and some fun answers. A lot of people have said along the same lines, look, it depends on where you're at financially and how important that million dollars is to you. And I can understand that. I do get that. I'm not trying to feel, you know, I'm not trying to act unsympathetic or unempathetic toward that because I totally get that. Um, And maybe my decision is somewhat based on the fact that like a million dollars doesn't feel as life changing to me right now as what a billion could be. But if you just look at the overall grand scheme of things, a million dollars can help any family right now and, you know, any person in their family right now. But it's mostly for the now. I mean, yes, you can take all of that and put it in the SPY and you're probably going to be okay in your future. But you're not you're you you, you don't have the money where you can say, F it. I don't give a crap about money for the rest of my life. I'm buying anything I want. I am spending money on the best food the most, like I don't care about any financial decision I made for the rest of the point of time. And that's why I feel the billion gets you. And from my standpoint here, Nick, why I could never even consider the million here, I think a lot of people aren't looking at the opposite side of what you said, Nick, which is, can you look yourself in the mirror knowing that you didn't flip a coin for a life-changing billion dollars? Like You didn't take that risk. It's almost like the people who you know organize the office pools the lottery office pools i used to hate this every time when i used to work in an office it's like all right we got the big lottery it's it's up to like 600 million are you going to get in it's 20 bucks each do you want to get in and of course you're going to get in you can't say no you cannot possibly say no to this because you know you're wasting your money you know you're throwing out the money that's why i hated when it came around there's no chance i'm winning the lottery i don't care what the i mean the odds are atrocious and i'm just throwing out 20 bucks but i couldn't possibly come back into work the next day if that office pool won and I couldn't, even if I just quit, cause that's what I would have had to do. I just had to straight up quit the job. No notice. Just sorry. I'm not coming in anymore. That's just it for me. If there was even an office left, like I'm sure a lot of people, if they won that lottery, you're just quitting anyway, right on the spot. But I couldn't look myself in the mirror, Nick, knowing that I didn't say yes to that office lottery pool. And I didn't make that money. And I feel the same way about the billion odds wise as a gambler, it's just impossible for me to turn down this value. You're never getting better value on any bet for the rest of your life. You are getting a thousand to one odds on something that is a two to one odd bet. So you have a one in 50, you have a 50% chance of getting heads or tails, whatever you pick, and you are getting a thousand to one odds. The odds, even if the odds were just three to one, even if they were offering you 3 million versus 1 million, the value is on taking the three million chance. Now you're talking about a billion dollars, thousand to one odds on about something that should be a two to one odd ratio. It's just as a gambler, as somebody who loves getting value on bets and on odds, I just couldn't even consider it, man. I couldn't even consider the million.
1: Everything that you just said is correct, and that is such a macro way to look at all this. It does not change the fact that if (laughs) I flipped that freaking coin and it did not go my way, I would not be able to look myself in the mirror. I would want to take my freaking stupid head and my long hair and shove it in a toilet and flush. That's what I would want to do. I would not be able to live with myself. I'd be totally content saying yes and just getting a million dollars richer.
2: I get it. I get it. I guess because I gamble more. It's different for me, especially, like, poker. I relate it to poker. I've had decisions where I've had to make where I've been in big state games where I had to put, probably shouldn't be throwing these numbers out there on the podcast, I guess, but, (laughs) oh, well, it is what it is, where I've had, like, there was one that I can remember in a high-low five-card big O game I was playing in in Vegas at the Rio during the World Series of Poker cash game where it was uncapped buying and it was getting big. And there was a decision I had to make with four callers ahead of me. The pot, the bet size was twelve hundred on the turn. Four colors ahead of me. There's one card to come. I had this. I had the number of outs right there that gave me about an eighteen percent chance of winning. So seventy-eight or sorry, seventy-two percent of the time, Nick, I'm gonna lose if I make this twelve hundred dollar call. But the pot odds, the odds that I was getting, the twelve hundred was into like. 14. Times. It was such a stupid pot at the time. It was four callers, and there was a huge bet on the uh, there was a huge pot bet on the flop. I, and I can't remember this pre-flop, there was a huge pot, and then the flop. The point was I was getting essentially pot my pot odds were unbelievable. So they were almost double what my percentage chance of winning is. So despite the fact that I only had an 18% chance to win, and 72% of the time I'm gonna lose. The odds were in my favor, Nick, and I had to make that call. And I did, and I lost. Obviously, this the 18% chance didn't hit on the river. Ended up losing it. But the point is, man.
1: Hopefully you had a life jacket though, you know, if you were in the river.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I guess I'm telling you poker terms. And the podcast. These are this is a bad podcast, maybe for some of you who don't play poker, and I get it. But look, the question was posed. It was an interesting one to me. I'm curious what your guys' take is. You haven't responded yet, or if you didn't see the Twitter thread on it where me and Nick were going. Hit us up on Twitter. Let us know. Would you take the million or would you take the coin flip for a billion dollars? All right, Nick, with that said, let's also catch up on a little bit of Giants rumors and reports before we get into our tight end preview, which hopefully for your sake, because I'm not sure anybody. But you can let us know if you did. We did. I mean, this the wide receiver preview was packed. It was jam packed. I don't think there was much filler, but it was long. So tight end won't be as long. That's for sure. It's just not a position that requires it. But let's talk a little bit of rumors and reports before we get to the tight end position here on today's show, Nick. And I want to start with a report from a guy who has, let's just say this in the kindest way, a spotty track record when it comes to his reporting on the New York football Giants. He once reported the Giants were offered and turned down a first-round pick for Landon Collins at the trade deadline. That never happened. I have it on good—I have it from a person who used to, you know— I'm not going to say who it's from, but I have it on good record that they weren't offered anything more than a fourth-round pick at the trade deadline for Collins. Ultimately, they didn't trade him, and they got the comp pick back. He's had a couple other misses with the draft, but it's Matt Miller of ESPN. I don't want to drag him because he is what he is. And he reports that the Giants love, quote-unquote, love Charles Cross. He says, this is the Mississippi State tackle, by the way, Charles Cross. He says they love him, quote-unquote, at right tackle. They feel like despite the fact that he hasn't started a game there in college based on the considerable time they've spent working with cross in the off season at right tackle of which we don't know much of Nick. We just saw that one video of, of uh, Bobby Johnson working with him at right tackle. They feel he is a great fit for right tackle and they love him. And they went, and honestly, according to uh, Albert Breer, he says, when I tell you what I've heard them connected to Mississippi state, Charles cross, you might think that it would be a reach at number five for the Giants. I'm here to tell you it would not be. So a lot of Charles Cross to the Giants buzz, Nick. What are you making of this?
1: Well, this buzz started a little while ago, right, when we saw Bobby Johnson working him out at his pro day. And a lot of people started kind of connecting the dots at that point. You know, it doesn't shock me at all, specifically if they are confident that he can make that transition to right tackle now I think Evan Neal still has a higher floor I like Evan Neal better I think the prospects of adding someone like an Ikemi Kwanu is just wildly enticing but if they went the direction of Charles Cross I'm like and I said this a while ago I'm not gonna throw a fit it's just they have to be sure that he can make that transition to the right side and we've talked a lot about Charles Cross like I think he is the best pass protector in the draft at tackle I think when you look at Right now
2: and long-term or just right now?
1: Right now. what I think that could also translate to being long-term. If you look at Iquano and you look at Cross, I think Iquano's run blocking is probably better than Cross's pass blocking, but still, this is a passing league, so I do understand it, and I think there's still a lot of meat on the bone in terms of his ability to run block just because we didn't see it all that often, and we've spoken a ton about Charles Cross on this podcast, but – if all three are on the board and they go with cross, I'd probably sit there and be like, wow, okay, well you, you better be right about that. You know, I'm not going to be overly upset or anything like that. Cause I think cross is a good football player. I have high grades on all three players, but you better know what you're doing. That's, that's probably all I'll say.
2: Yeah. And I don't think there's any really, any real way that that will happen anyway. I don't think there's going to be a scenario that we see play out that has, that has uh, all three tackles on the board. So we probably won't have that situation crop up for the giants, I guess, but, Having said that, I, it's not that I've gone back and forth on cross. I just feel like I was so much higher than him in the beginning. And after watching Iguanu and Neil Moore, I'm a little less high on him. I just I I still like him. I still think i will be fine at five or seven with cross because their upside is undeniable. But there are more times that, like as I watch more cross, there are times I just didn't want to. I would expect a player who gets beat a, a little bit less for how you know, how high he's regarded as this pass protector, the best in the class has all these reps and all these and all this practice. And the the, the transition from that system just still has me a little bit worried just based on kind of some, you know, recent players we've seen try to translate. And I don't want to let that over overweight my projection on him because again, Overall, the thing I like the most about Cross that I think is there on his film and there moving forward is his feet. He has really good balance, really good feet, and he's really good at moving in space. And that can be projected to the next level. And I'm always going to go down, always going to go down the path of give him the offensive tackle with the footwork and with the balance over all the other stuff. Literally everything else. Oh, he has a great punch on film. I don't care. Oh, he looks like super powerful. And, you know, all the other stuff. It's great, but if you don't have the feet and if you don't have the balance, you're just never going to make it in the NFL. And so he still has that and he has that in spades. So I'd be good with it, Nick. Are you, would you be good with cross at five or seven?
1: Again, I think I would be okay with it. I'm not going to throw a fit. Assuming the tackle,
2: assuming, let's say, assuming Neil is on the board, but I'm sorry, Icky is on the board, but not Neil. How about in that scenario?
1: Again, I, I think I would be okay with it. Okay. I'm not going to throw a fit. I would prefer Equanu, to be honest. But as we've said on previous podcasts, this is not it's not a slam dunk with Iquano because yeah. he still has a lot of deficiencies in terms of his pass protection. I think he can learn and develop. And by all accounts, he is a very smart young man, as we've went over a bunch. But there's still those deficiencies that cropped up basically all throughout last season, whereas Cross is much safer in terms of protecting the quarterback, which is something that's going to be pertinent to the New York Giants.
2: Yeah, fair enough. I totally understand that. All right, Nick.
1: That's all kind of that I've, I've been looking.
2: I'm kind of dragging through right now looking. I don't really see too much else here on the news front. Anything else I missed from the Giants news? It's been weirdly quiet, I think, for this time of year as far as the rumors go.
1: Yeah, it's been really quiet. And we're probably recording this a couple days before we're going to drop it. So if news drops and you guys are like, why aren't you talking about that? That's why. Just to let the audience know.
2: Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. All right, Nick, let's dive into it. The tight end preview. So I want to start by asking you just your general, uh, give me a general overview of the position before. Well, let's start here. Let's start with a general overview of the position for the Giants right now. Where are the Giants at at the tight end position as we stand right now? And how important is it for them to find tight end or tight ends in this draft class?
1: I think it's very important for them to come away with at least one tight end because you look at the roster right now. You have Chris Myrick from last year. You signed Ricky Seals-Jones. You have guys like Rice and John and Hausman, the kid, the undrafted free agent at Ohio State last year. But no one's really proven other than Ricky Seals-Jones. And I could even argue that he's not necessarily somebody you want to start. He's definitely somebody who's not a great blocker. I mean, he's pretty solid and contested catch situations. But I think you have to find a tight end at some point, somebody who can kind of develop behind Ricky Seals Jones this year, and then maybe have a Pat Fryermuth type of impact. Probably not as good as Fryermuth, but somebody who can step in as the year progresses and, and be productive down the stretch of the season. When I look at the class as a whole, damn, they don't have any Kyle Pitts. Kyle Pitts was in the class last year. I would say it's, it's more like the 2020 draft class where it was, you know, Bryson Hopkins, Adam Troutman, Cole Komet, Hunter Bryant, Josiah DeGuara, guys like that. Only maybe this, this class might be a little bit deeper than that class. I I think that's probably where I'm looking at. I think it has some really interesting developmental tight ends that we'll go over here in a little bit. And I feel like the top guys are all those late day two, early day three type of guys and there's probably just gonna be a cluster of them selected like once one goes you'll probably start to see a run on them but this isn't a position that has a Kyle Pitts and it's not one that really has guys that you probably want to select at 36.
2: I think you nailed it Nick this tight end class is a lot like the 2020 group even looking back it's like even if you go back to 2019 it had Hawkinson and Fan. 2018 had a couple really interesting guys from a receiving standpoint that I think this class doesn't have that had big time upside as receivers, Mark Andrews, Dallas Goddard, for example. And that's actually been a class that's really been successful. Like looking back at some of these tight end classes, they've been super unsuccessful, which is something I want to get into with you as we talk about the whole position. But yeah, it reminds me a lot of that 2020 class. And if you look at that 2020 class, it's been insanely, insanely disappointing so far. Cole Komet has not been worth the 11th overall pick in the second round. Some people are high in him moving forward. I don't know. Devin Asiasi, out of the Patriots, who they took in the third round. I mean, this is a guy who got buried immediately by when they signed Hunter Henry and and, um, John O. Smith in free agency last year. Like, how much faith did they have on him if they made those decisions? Josiah DeGar for the Packers hasn't done much. Dalton Keene for the Patriots. We're just going down the list of the tight. Those are the first four tight ends pick. And then Adam Troutman, who was supposed to be a breakup, but got hurt. And you look, you have some potential like long-term guys. Some people love Albert O. now that Russell Wilson is there. But, and I actually like Harrison Bryant from the Browns. He was my favorite tight end in that whole class. To be honest, I wasn't a huge Cole Komet guy. Um, and Bryant's actually flashed a little bit, but this was a really disappointing class. And it gives me reservations because as you look at the Giants roster, tight end is honestly one of the most desperate positions right now for the Giants. Desperate's the best way to describe it because they have next to nothing on this roster. I've never seen a position as barren as the Giants tight end position is right now. Ricky Seals-Jones flashed a little bit, but he's not a starting caliber tight end in my mind, and he's not really a good blocker, and even as a receiver, there are some limitations there. There are some big time flashes, some upside plays, some crazy adjustments to the ball that you're like, oh, this guy is really super athletic and could be unlocked maybe with the Giants, but it's all speculation. And after that, the Giants really don't have much of the tight end position at all to write home about. It is a position that's been, I don't want to say devalued around the NFL, Nick, but it's a position that has been hard to find around the NFL. People always talk about how hard it is to translate from offensive line to the from the collegiate level to the NFL level, given you know how wide the hashes are in college, how the ball isn't always lined up in the middle, how there's uh, you know all these weird uh, college offensive attacks, these air raid systems and and whatnot that kind of don't prepare you for what you have to do as an offensive lineman in the NFL level. I think it's even worse at tight end. I think it's getting worse and worse and worse as we go every year. It's been getting worse, and it leads to some desperation picks at tight end. And I know the Giants are in a position where they have to be desperate, quote-unquote, but I don't want them to be desperate. I think the desperate-style drafting is just the, the clear-cut, easiest way for you to just screw up your roster and get yourself in a position where you can't re-sign these guys to second contracts. And you're looking at guys who you convinced yourself on because they were at tight end and you needed a tight end and you could see the upside, but they're not there. Players like Josh Oliver who was selected with the fifth pick overall in the third round of the 2019 draft, Nick from the Jaguars at a San Jose state. And I loved his movement skills. He was somebody in that class who I was interested in based on his elite level movement skills. And just, he looked like a receiver almost out there. Uh, I'm sorry, a running back almost out there with the ball in his hand. He's been a total disaster, just nothing out of him. The Bengals used a second round pick 20 overall 20th overall, Nick in the 2019 draft on drew sample. Six foot seven guy out of Washington, who may be projected as like a two way guy in some people's minds. He was big. I never thought he was as good of a blocker as his size though, Nick. And he just, I just knew that that style of of tight end is not going to make an impact as a receiver. He's just too slow and lumbering, and he hasn't really done much. Irv Smith has been injured. You look at Jay Sternberger, the eleventh overall pick in the third round of the 2019 draft, buried on that Packers depth chart. Chart, sorry, Kahale Waring. 22nd overall in the third round, buried on the chop shot. Then there's Dawson Knox, who was a hit for the Bills, in the, th- the 32nd pick of the third round. But you're looking at four picks before that in the 2019 draft, 20th overall in the second round, 5th overall in the third round, 11th overall in the third round, and 22nd over in the third round. Essentially, these teams are getting nothing out of these players, and there's just no way those picks that high in the draft overall, 52, 69, 75, 86, There's just no way you can't tell me there was a better chance to get an impact player at corner, safety, edge, interior offensive line specifically, running back, receiver. Those for sure, those three positions for sure for me. And it scares me, Nick. I look at a lot of these players, Dalton Keene, Josiah Degara. I mean, going back to previous drafts, Jordan Aikens, a third-round pick. Ian Thomas had a lot of promise, right? Early fourth round. Gerald Everett. 12th overall in the second round, 44th overall. Adam Shaheen had all the size, had all the tools. What was he going to be? Everybody loved him as a potential upside guy. He went right after Everett. 44th and then 45th overall, Adam Shaheen. Nothing. He's done nothing at the NFL level. That's the 2017 draft. As you keep going back further and further, you just see all these picks burned. Nick Van Ed was supposed to be something, right? And he's actually been better on the better side of that. Um, the other kid from from Ohio State, Jeff Hireman, you got Tyler Croft, you got Clive Warford, Warford. Remember him from the from the Ravens, third, the fourth overall pick of the third round, 68 overall, Nick. And so for me, I look back at past drafts and how many of these mid these day two picks have been just burned on tight ends where the teams are getting next to nothing out of them. And it scares me from wanting to invest in tight end in this class. I'll be honest.
1: But then you look at some of those early day three picks, you go back to the 2018 draft class, which you touched on with Dallas Goddard. And there's some hits, man. I mean, fourth round. Will Disley to the Seahawks, Dalton Schultz mm-hmm. to the Cowboys. Then you had Troy Fumagalli. I, I just wanted to bring that guy up. I think you're quite familiar with him. I but they were pretty good too. And he just <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. But there were other ones like Tyler Conklin, who was a fifth round pick that year. So Durham Smythe has had a solid rotational tight end role down there in Miami. So there are later round picks that have been hits at the tight end position. And I think that's where the value lies. I'm not opposed to selecting someone in the third round because the history suggests that it might not have been the most wise decision, but I think the value has to meet and you shouldn't reach. And that's something that I feel like with this draft class, there could be a team, if they really like a Trent McBride, if they really like an Isaiah Likely, who could reach a little bit because they want to get their guy and that could spark the tight end run. And I don't want the Giants to necessarily be that team with all the holes on their roster.
2: Yeah, I think you nailed it. I think we're on this we're on the same page. It's not that I don't want a tight end in this class. They're desperate for one. The Giants are, but I want to wait till day three. And that doesn't mean at pick eighty-one, their second pick in the in the third round. I'm not totally opposed to it. But I have a really short list there of players that I'd be interested in at 81. And it's mostly just one player who I think could potentially fall to that pick if things go a certain way. He's probably not going to fall. And so I'm probably just not interested. And I think what you said is true. If you're looking at this position. It's better in this class. That's not going to be the case for every class, obviously. But in this specific class, like there's a class loaded with tight end talent, you might have a beast drop to you with your first pick in the second round, or even in the third round. But in this specific class, with how it sets up, you're so much better off, in my mind, waiting until day three to take a swing there. And I feel like a lot of the time with some of the guys I mentioned, and I just went over earlier in this podcast, the Adam Shaheens, the you know the the kid from that the Jaguars took from, from San Jose state, Josh Oliver, Jay Sternberger, you're kind of prop. When you take the second round tight end there, you're almost in some ways propping him up based on his athleticism or a few flashes he had in the passing game. And you're kind of hoping you're, it's almost more of a, just a pure projection to what they can be at the next level. And almost always with these guys, they're still, there's still like, feels like you're never getting that two-way tight end. Like if I'm using a second round pick, I'd rather just use it on a guy who's been injured at the at the collegiate level, but obviously has the upside if he's healthy. Travis Kelsey, round three. Rob Gronkowski, round two. Those are examples that come to mind for me. But other than that, I'm just not interested. This is just not a range I think tight end makes any sense in. There's just It's always guys that seem to be propped up to be better than what they are based on the fact that there's just such a desperation amongst all 32 teams, essentially, at this point, to find tight ends.
1: So there's interesting tight ends that were drafted in the second round that I feel like you can look at and it'll run counter to what you just said. And that is Dallas Goddard from 2018. I think Mike Kasicki definitely checks out with what you just said, because he's basically just a a very large slot receiver. You do not want Mike Kasicki kind of in line blocking. That's not necessarily his game. And then you also had Austin Hooper. And I think Hunter Henry, was he a second round pick? I think Austin Hooper was a third round pick. Hunter Henry was a second round pick, but that's going back to, I think, the 2016 draft class. And then last year with Pat Fryermuth, who was a second round pick, who definitely, I feel like, lived up to the expectations that the Steelers wanted. So it's not a complete bust rate type of situation.
2: It's not, but as you go, you know, as you go back, even just till 2012, there's, there's one or two of those hits that you mentioned. There's a lot more busts. It just seems like, even if you just look at like Austin, Austin, Safarian Jenkins at 38 overall, Jason Morrow at 49 overall, Troy Do you remember Troy Nicholas, that big dude from Notre Dame who went to the Cardinals in 2014, 52 overall. CJ Fedoro at sixty five overall. Think about how bad that that range of tight ends is in twenty fourteen. From ASJ at thirty eight, who actually wasn't bad when when he was had his head on right, but had no longevity in the NFL, didn't block and just didn't really offer didn't didn't return value really jay samaro disaster at 49 overall in the second round to the jets troy nicholas disaster pretty much at 52 overall and then cj fedorowitz who i loved in that class again I, I used to get hyped on these type of guys too nick i remember the days where i used to love a tight end prospect in round two or three every class and i just had too many examples of these guys missing jeff hireman i mean if you look at it it's like 18 18 to 20 misses for every one or two hits
1: Yeah, I don't know, though, man, because Fedorowicz is an interesting one because he retired because of concussions, but he was a solid contributor whenever he was on the football field. Like He wasn't the best blocker for Iowa tight end standards, but he was functional enough as a blocker, and he was pretty dynamic. I don't want to say dynamic, but he was a good receiving tight end with a huge catch radius, and I know Jordan Reed has had his injury issues, but that goes back to the 2013 draft. He was a day-two pick. That definitely was a hit whenever he was on the football field. He was good, and then you have these – I would say guys who were effective in the NFL, but they had injury issues, including concussions like a Kobe Fleener coming out of Stanford way back in the day. He was somebody who was a, uh, a a big part of the saints offense. And then the uh, Colts offense more so than the saints back with Andrew luck.
2: Yeah. He was okay. Fleener for a little while, but I think a little bit of a product of the systems he was in and offered nothing as a blocker again, Yeah, just like for these types of guys. And we'll get to this. It's almost like a, we can get to it now. I, I feel like in today's NFL, if you're trying to draft these, like, big slot-type tight ends, like a Kobe Fleener type, who's just a freakish receiver for his size, and in in a sense, quote-unquote, a mismatch, it was a mismatch for the old NFL. I don't know if it's as big of a mismatch as it used to be now that so many more teams are running sub-package defenses for the vast majority of the time, and they're getting smaller, these, like, smaller safety linebacker hybrid types on the field. And these guys can cover these Kobe Fleener types, but can they cover all the slot receivers that you can throw at them? And that's why I feel like you will seeing a lot of the good teams. I mean, Brian Dable is a good example of this with the Bills last year. A lot of the good teams leaning more on 11 personnel packages that feature, a, you know, three receivers in the mix at all times that, that can threaten in different ways. Even if you're looking at like some of these big slot receivers that I think can be better options than these Kobe Fleener types. Then uh, that's going back to Kobe Cleaner, who was actually like a hit, but then there's also like the Gavin Escobars, the Vance McDonalds. This this list goes on and on if you go back to these drafts. But I just think the NFL is changing, and I'm just less interested in trying to find a potential quote unquote mismatch from a slot ver, slot a big slot type tight end who can't block
1: when I know I could just get speed on the field instead in that slot. Yeah, well, defenses are going to adjust to the to the speed. They they would take that nickel that big nickel package off and put a dime package in if they want to account for. You know, a four wide receiver look with no tight ends. But I think what it gets interesting when you look at the tight end position, if the tight end can block, then the defense has to adjust to that and they're going to need bigger personnel. And I still think they can use safeties because safeties have become really, really good in run support. But if you have a complete liability out there at tight end, so it's technically 12 personnel, teams are going to defenses are going to be much more likely to align in lighter packages because they, they don't really care the fact that you're in quote unquote 12 personnel because your tight end can't block.
2: Right. And I, and I totally get that, by the way. And I'm not saying that the defenses won't match it schematically. I know they'll match it schematically. I guess what I'm trying to say here is I think that as defenses are currently set up right now in the NFL across the league and as the prospects that we're seeing come into the class and how they're kind of being groomed at the second and third levels right now, I think there are more options for every defense across the NFL to, to combat a big slot type tight end, whether that be your safety or linebacker. Then there are guys who can hold up against speedy receivers or great route running receivers, whatever you want to make them in the slot in man coverage. And that's where I'm kind of looking at. There are just fewer corners, I think, who can who can kind of match up against speed if you throw it at them. Then there are guys who can then there are safeties, corners, linebackers, whatever you want to put, however you want to play it that can match up against kind of the Kobe Fleener types of the world.
1: Yeah, and I think it also gets interesting when you come out in eleven personnel, three by one set, and put the tight end on the backside. If that tight end right. is a plus receiver, like a Greg Dulcich or some of these other guys, and then you couldn't even align your number one wide receiver and say that's a speedy receiver, like a Tyree Kill, as the number three on the three receiver side. I mean, you could really stress defenses because it's going to be really hard to cover those really fast receivers over the middle of the field. And then you have two other options who might not be slapdick receivers on the outside of him. I just think it can give you an advantage when you have that Travis Kelsey and that Tyreek Hill. And that's one of the reasons why the Chiefs offense is so dynamic, especially when you had freaking Patrick Mahomes throwing the football. But now you don't have that because Tyreek Hill is no longer there.
2: Yeah, no doubt about it, and we'll see what happens there. Um, obviously, I, I I totally get what you're saying as well. The three, the, the having that advantage in those three by one looks with the one tight end on the outside. Something I used to see, you know, early way early before anyone was doing it. Bill Belichick do when he had um, early early career Gronk and, and Hernandez on his roster. But let's dive a little bit deeper into the class and let's talk about our top fives at the position. Cause we have a completely different top five and mine's been evolving. I've changed it a bunch at this position. And in the end I decided I don't really have a strong feeling on too many of these guys. So I'm going with the guys I believe in, in my top five um, and it's more projection based and it's completely in my top five is going to be very weird compared to the ones that you see from, from Nick and from other people. But I'm, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to stand by it. I'm not going to, I'm not going to just do a top five that's consensus based just to make it look, uh just to make it look not as crazy. I guess I would say.
1: Yeah, and I like that about it too, man. But I guess I'll start in my number one tight end, and I don't think it's by a wide margin because there are deficiencies that I think have to be acknowledged that we acknowledge on this podcast, and that is Trey McBride out of Colorado State. He's the John Mackey Award winner. He led the nation in catches and receiving yards at the tight end position, not the most sudden or explosive. Tight end. He's not the best athlete in that area, but I think he is somebody who runs good routes. I think he's deceptive up his route stem. I think he's excellent in contested catch situation, plays with really, really good concentration. And he understands the subtleties on how to get open in that intermediate part of the field whenever he's attacking zone, has the spatial awareness, uses the subtle flipper and the push offs to kind of create just enough separation. I don't think he's going to be a dynamic weapon, but one who is functional enough as a blocker and functional enough as a receiver to have an impact. I think he is a tight end one in the NFL. And I'm not sure where I would like the Giants to draft. him. I think 67 would be a little bit too early, but if he is available at 81, that's definitely something I would entertain.
2: Nice. I'm going to go with my tight end one. And it was, I was on McBride train as tight end one for a little while. And in the end, I kind of came toward a different conclusion. And I think you'll hear this in all of my tight end rankings, but They're very projection-based because I think out of all the positions in the NFL, tight end is probably the one that requires the most projection coming from the college level to the NFL level. It's just how I see the position. Obviously, offensive tackle has a case to be made there as well. But I just think a lot of these guys just don't translate. A lot of those picks we went over, those day two picks, were guys that had a lot of hype and just didn't translate at all for whatever reason. You know, even guys like Josh Oliver, I thought had a shot. Brevin, like, no, not Brevin, Jordan. Uh, the other kid, Jordan uh, Akins from that the Texans took. I thought those guys had a shot. They had the traits, but they just didn't translate at all whatsoever. And I'm going to go with a guy who's trait, who has a trait that I think can translate really well immediately to the NFL. And he might be the only person in the class that I think has that, that, that immediately translatable against NFL level talent trait. And that's Greg Dolchitz from UCLA, because I think immediately he will be a weapon in the passing game against a lot of different types of players who they could try to put up in coverage against them, both in zone and man coverage. And I think he has surprising speed. That's what I would call Greg Dolchett speed on tape. He's one of those guys to me that when I watch has more game speed than tested speed, he breaks away from defenders and and eliminates angles that just don't make sense for a guy his size. And then there's also plays you watch where he's going to make cuts that are like, woo! that lateral agility on that cut was interesting. That looks like a receiver, but he's in a tight end's body the entire time. And so I think his receiving skills translate the best of anyone's skill blocking or receiving in this class. And so I'm going with him as my tight end one.
1: I think he's my tight end for Greg Dolchuk. I, re- I really like like you said, all of the vertical, horizontal stretching ability. I think he's a great athlete. I love his hands. They're all like 11 inches. It's insane. His catch radius is great. Great in contested catch situations as well. And I think he can be a true receiving threat. Just wish he was a little bit more physical as a blocker. But definitely somebody that interests me. Okay. Give me your tight end two. Yeah, my tight end two would be Jeremy Ruckert. And this is somewhat projection-based because – He's one of the tight ends that loses slowly, as Mike Mayock says. And as we say on this podcast, I think if you watch some of his tape, you can see clips of him being the sniffer, the H-back on split flow action, just absolutely annihilating the crap out of the end man on the line of scrimmage. He brings a certain dog and physicality to the rushing attack. But you align him in base, he leans a little bit too much. He's about six foot five, six foot six. And I feel like his pad level is a little bit too high. So there's some technical refinement that can happen. For him as a blocker there's probably better blockers in this class one we're going to be going over a little bit later and I haven't watched this guy's film extensively but I watched one game of the player that we're going to talk about a little bit but we'll get into that and Dan will love it we'll just give a little hint right there but in terms of Rucker he wasn't all that productive as a receiver because he played with Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, Jackson Smith, and Jigba so he wasn't really a prominent target but when you turn on the tape you see a a good athlete, I would say. He's a he's a good athlete for the tight end position. He's not an Isaiah likely type of athlete, but I think he can step into the NFL and he'll be fine as an athlete. He has that long catch radius, he has soft hands. He displayed that down at the senior bowl. And I think he could be a someone who could step in and we haven't seen the best from him yet. Once he gets to the NFL and I notice the projection, I feel like he still has more to show. And I and I and I appreciate his skill set overall. That's why I have him as my tight end, too.
2: Okay, I like it. My tight end, two is Trey McBride, who you already went over as your tight end one. I still think he can be a wep- uh, an asset at the NFL level, especially if he becomes a good blocker. And he has the frame to at least get better as a blocker. But I don't know. I don't see too much of a ceiling when I watch McBride. I think, actually, a really interesting comp that Heath Cummings, who works with us at CBS Sports, made, because he just did a draft profile on him, Dennis Pitta. Do you remember Dennis Pitta back in the day from Baltimore?
1: Of course, yeah, he had bad hips.
2: Bad hips, and that kind of ruined his career. But he was kind of, in my mind, the Zach Ertz before Zach Ertz was Zach Ertz. Is this, and, and what I mean by that is he just had a knack for getting open and had just weird, nuanced route running style that just found a way to create enough separation to get the ball. There wasn't really ever anything mo- much post-catch from any of those types of guys, Pitt included. And I don't think there's going to be much post-catch at all for McBride at the next level. It's what scares me the most about McBride, his projection. just I don't see the post-catch ability at all against NFL-level competition. But he'll get open. He'll do weird things to get open, and he'll provide for you a chain-moving safety valve. And there is some value to that, especially if he can become a good blocker. All right, give me your your tight end three in this class.
1: Yeah, my tight end three in the class is Isaiah Likely, and that's the kid from Coastal Carolina. He's about 240 pounds, so he kind of just looks like a really big wide receiver out there. And I don't think he's going to have a wide projection, like he can't play in line, but that doesn't necessarily mean he's a bad blocker. because When you watched him in space, he was really getting after it. And he's somebody who is ha- probably, it's arguable, but he's probably the best athlete of this bunch. And I say that after he ran like a 4'8 at his pro day, which is not great whatsoever. But he's a lot faster than that when you turn on his film. And I think he might have the most receiving upside. I think it's between him and Greg Dolchik in terms of the guys who are going to be, you know, at least day two picks or in the day two pick conversation. So I really like what Isaiah likely can offer from a receiving standpoint, athletic ability standpoint, yards after the catch standpoint, and then a second level blocker. I just don't think he's going to have the strength at the point of attack to be all that great as a Y in line.
2: Okay. I like that call there and I and I haven't studied him as much as some of the others in this class so I didn't feel too comfortable ranking him high especially cuz I didn't really love what I saw and I just kind of got to go with my gut here for number 3 and so I'm staking my my claim and I'm planting my flag and it's Jake Ferguson the tight end from Wisconsin as my tight end 3 overall and I'll say this I went back and and recently this was like really really 2 days ago cuz I saw some people starting to, he's starting to get a little more buzz and, and he deserves and, and, and that he deserves I should say not then he deserves. And so I started to rewatch Wisconsin film, which is always fun to watch. But honestly, I had watched a lot more Wisconsin defense this draft season, Nick, than offense. It's just not fun to watch the Wisconsin offense compared to the defense. The defense is just flying around the field at all times. Jim Leonard's just in attack mode from snap one. And then when you start, and if they ever get a lead, like a two touchdown lead, or if the weather's ever nasty, Leonard is just fucking. Firing off the boys, just sending guys left and right attacking downhill. And it's funny because I'm like, is this what we're going to get with Wink Martindale? Because this is going to be a hell of a lot of fun to watch film on. If Wink Martindale's just firing, firing downhill all day and just not giving a crap. But when you watch the offense, there's a lot of bad quarterback play littered throughout. And that's been the case for Jake Ferguson's career. He's dealt with atrocious quarterback play from start to finish. I know some people like um, the kid from Jack Cohn, the Long Island native who went to Notre Dame after Wisconsin. Some people weirdly like him as a late round quarterback. His physical limitations will make him never anything in the NFL. I'm I've more sold on that evaluation than any evaluation I've ever made in the NFL. I'll say he, if you can't throw the outs at the NFL level, which he cannot do, you can't be anything. And that was limiting for Ferguson as a tight end to have him as a quarterback. And then Graham Mertz came in the best prospect in Wisconsin history at the quarterback position. And he's been a massive disappointment, unfortunately for Badgers fans and myself included. And that's limited Ferguson as well. But if you just look at the traits with Ferguson, what you have here is this: a guy who has film of making acrobatic catches on um, acrobatic plays on the ball, adjusting to off-target throws away from his frame, and making high, and high-pointing and making incredible plays on the ball. You also have a guy who is used in the tight end screen game and shows elusiveness. And lateral agility on those plays. It's not always on display. It's not a big part of their offense. But just look at the times where Wisconsin uses him in the tight end screen game and look at his lateral agility, his ability to make cuts and ability to create space after the catch. I think he has a really good, I think he has really good traits in that regard as well. Then you look at what he comes from, that Wisconsin system churning out blockers, guys who know what they're doing, guys who have great technique in the blocking game, like Iowa. And you look at him as a blocker. I talked to Lori Fitzpatrick a couple days ago, who said she thinks he's the best blocking tight end in this class. And that's not really talked about a lot with him. And if that's the case, and he also offers just kind of a, a step up, a leg up on blocking because the techniques are already there and he can kind of translate to the next level as far as what you said, Nick, which is what I believe I forgot the, 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 the analyst who said it, but I really like it too. And maybe you said it was Mike Mayock. I'm, I'm blanking now, but just stay in front of your guy. Don't get beat fast as a tight end when you're in the blocking game. And I think he has a lot of upside moving forward into this class. I know there's, I guess, more of a floor than there is for guys like McBride or Ruckert, who you mentioned, or Likely or Dolchich. But I don't know. I see a really potentially high ceiling with him compared to this class, I should say, as far as being potentially the best tight end in this class. I'm willing to stake my claim there. I'm more
1: interested in getting Ferguson on my roster than I am Leo Chanel. How about that, Nick? I don't think that's crazy. Now, admittedly, I have not seen Ferguson's film other than one game, and that was Arizona State. And in that Arizona State tape, I watched him destroy a safety on a kickout block where he located him and absolutely blew him up where the guy's feet were in midair and he landed on his back. And then he also kicked this end man on the line of scrimmage out, which was a scraping linebacker over the top to to replace the um the defensive end who who had like a a trajectory that went straight uphill and he just annihilated this guy took him off of his feet so i need to watch about two more games before i feel comfortable with this take but i would not be shocked if this guy is, is the tight end steal of the draft just from what i've seen and i don't think you're being a badgers homer here at all and i will call you out when you are and i don't think you are with leo chanel either from what i've seen only the one game it's there is a lot of intrigue with Jake Ferguson. There really is.
2: And at least with Chanel, it's like, if you don't take Chanel, there's a lot of other great options at 36. And Chanel's probably not making it to you on da- uh, with your third round pick, at which point you would. But with Ferguson, it's like the buzz hasn't been there like it was with Chanel. He didn't have the crazy combine. And I think the people who are actually watching his tape are like, why is this guy not talked about more? And I'm very intrigued by Ferguson. I'm putting him all the way up at tight end three. Give me your tight end four, Nick.
1: It's Greg Dolchik. We already went over. Uh, yep. everything that we like about Greg Dolchick. So, yeah, uh, By the way,
2: if you guys want to know, back way back when we started doing this, early in March, we did a draft profile on
1: Greg Dolchik as well, one of the first players we did. Yeah, so go and check that out, an in-depth breakdown on what he can offer. A good receiving tight end in his own right. Who's your number four, Dan? My number four, I keep going back. My four through six is interchangeable, and one of the guys I'm, I ended
2: up going with is just another guy that I'm just, in the sense, planning a flag on and projecting on, more so than anyone else. And I'll get to him in a minute because he's my five. But for four, I am going to go with Jeremy Ruckert, Ohio State. I will say this though, Nick, I'm not as high on Ruckert as you are, and I guess as most of the draft community is on. And that's just based on the feel and what I see when I watch him. I just, I'm, I'm projecting there, and I just don't see a receipt. I don't see the receiving traits I want to see from him, and I don't see enough of why he's just not the next one of these Big Ten tight ends like the Hiremans and. And all these other guys who just don't have enough standout traits to them. I know again, there's hope that he can become a really good blocker, but to me, it's mostly projection right now, and it's and it's a less likely chance of him becoming a great blocker than it is something like a Dolchich becoming a good receiver, or even a McBride becoming a chain mover, even the guy I'm going to have as my tight end five becoming a, a a red zone type and just kind of weapon for you in the passing game. And so I just don't know what he does all that well. I do like his background. I do like the kind of overall, I guess you could say profile for him. So I think there's a chance that he's just ends up being a solid player at the next level, but it's just, I, I just don't see it as much. So he's, he's coming in at tight end four for me.
1: I don't think that's ridiculous. Like I said, a lot of it is projection. And when you project, it doesn't mean you're always going to be correct. My tight end five is Cade. Do you mean to of- rhyme there?
2: Cause it sounded great.
1: A little bit. Yeah. You know <laughs> what? It, it was coming out and I was like, wow, that was pretty good, but I'm not even gonna acknowledge it. Drop the mic kind of thing. But, uh, my Titan five is Kate Otten out of Washington. He isn't the most sudden, isn't the most explosive was underutilized. I would say last year as a receiver and that's also a case he had COVID and he missed a couple games because of that and then he got injured towards the end of the year with a foot injury but he should be ready to go by training camp and everything like that but he was also one of those quarterbacks who's surrounded by you know subpar quarterback play that didn't maximize him as a receiver but with that said he's not all that explosive he's not going to stretch the defense but he's one of the better blockers in this class and I reserve my judgment on Jake Ferguson versus Otten as blockers I got to see a little bit more Jake Ferguson but in terms of Otten he loses slowly enough on the line of scrimmage to be a wide tight end in the nfl there were times on his film where he was just hit with quick power moves and beat right at the point of attack didn't love to see that but i also thought he was probably the best second level blocker that i've seen at least multiple games on because there were several times where he would get up to second level, he would fit his hands, and then he just wouldn't let go of the defensive back or the linebacker, and he drove through his blocks. So I love to see that from Otten. I don't think the receiving upside is huge, but I think he can be functional enough in the short to intermediate, you know, run stick, run a quick out route, do those kind of things, be that Dalton Schultz in that area of the field. It's not going to be as dynamic, probably as a receiver, but I think Otten is a solid option, maybe at pick 81, but more than likely in the early teens with that fourth round pick.
2: Yeah, I like Auden. I, it was between Odden, Ruckert, and the guy I eventually went with for tight end five. And I am going to go with Charlie Kohler out of Iowa State. Again, this is just more of a see it, feel it kind of thing from watching these guys and what I think they can look like at the NFL level against NFL level defenders on a weekly basis. And I do think that Kohler's length and his size overall, and then his ability to kind of cut and move laterally with that size makes him a better – Option, or at least a better projection for me, or a more likely projection—I don't know how to phrase this—of being an actual asset in the passing game at the next level than the majority of these guys. I feel like he has a better chance to be an asset than Ruckert, a better chance to be an asset than Cotton, and a better chance to be an asset than likely at a Coastal Carolina in the passing game, at least. I don't know exactly the the blocking is way more of a projection. Some people don't think he's going to be able to do that well at the next level. He definitely has the frame for it if he can get better with his technique and be used more because iowa state didn't really use him that way as much and i think ultimately he could end up being the best red zone guy of all these tight ends in this class and that helps that's important the red zone is one of the most important areas i just also think he can be a asset on passing downs third downs and and as a chain mover over the middle so he'd be my not my tight end five overall charlie kohler out of iowa state
1: yeah, I'm a big Charlie Kohler fan. He didn't crack my top five, but he's one of my top options if the Giants are going to go with somebody on day three because this guy is a six foot six, a real six foot six, big hands, huge catch radius, has nuance to his route running. It's a really good receiving threat, was aligned everywhere all over the line of scrimmage. It was aligned out wide, big slot, aligned wide. So you like to see the versatility that Matt Campbell utilized his skill set in. But I will say, I can see how his pad level and his technique can be exposed I guess you could say as a wide tight end. I think he did a solid job as a Y when he was asked to, but that's against, you know, Big 12 competition, some Big 10 guys when he when they face Iowa, but overall I think if you're talking about the fourth round, the fifth round, I think Kolar is a, is a solid option to bring in and I think he can translate to the NFL well. All right, Nick, let's get into it. Any
2: sleepers from you here?
1: So yeah, my sleepers I don't think jelani woods is a sleeper anymore because he ran like a four six at six foot eight 259 pounds but i would like him to be a developmental tight end more of a linear type of athlete than somebody who's going to you know sink his hips and pivot out of breaks in a really quick manner but i do think he is a uh, somebody that we have to mention And i also want to talk about one more guy well two more guys but then I, I want to kick it over to you so actually i'm going to kick it to you right now give me give me one of your sleepers button.
2: So, my number one sleeper by far in this class is Austin Allen, the tight end out of Nebraska. Another seat, feel it for me. And it's going to be a lot of those at the tight end position, but I've watched him a good amount. And if you can get a guy at six, almost six foot nine at 255, who despite being almost six foot nine, I think he's actually six foot eight, he tested in as a, a officially you could get that type of guy who can move like that, you rarely see six foot eight athletes move like that. Think of all the six foot eight athletes in the NFL. Most of them are tackles, most uh, or defensive linemen, and they don't move anywhere close to the way that Austin Allen moves. It's not perfect. Obviously, he's that at six foot eight. It's never going to be like you're watching like Greg Dolchich move laterally or vertically. He doesn't have vertical speed, but. I just want to bank on those traits, those weird, crazy traits. Especially when you watch him and he look, and you see him in the in, in a route. Like, there were a couple routes I when I was watching Nebraska this year that were that he made a play on as a receiver and then got in the open field moving. And I was like, dude, this moved. I was in my mind. I was like, damn, who is this guy? He moves smooth for a guy sick, at that ridiculous height. And that's how I feel about Austin Allen. He's my number one sleeper
1: by far in this class. So if you think that about Austin Allen, you need to watch Garrett Prince out okay. of UAB. Because I've watched Austin Allen. I feel like he's similar to Jelani Woods where it's linearly he can accelerate and chew up ground because he has long strides and he's a solid athlete in that area. But Garrett Prince legit has the long strides and I feel like is just a much more explosive athlete than an Austin Allen. And that is the tight end out of UAB. If you watch this game against Marshall, he caught like a quick little out route in the flat and took it for 50 yards after breaking like three tackles and like leaping over like just an arm tackle it wasn't like he jumped over the person but you would just look at that play and you're like damn this guy is a pretty good athlete and then i watched him against rice you know just split the middle of the field on a post and just keep running and he's running away from defensive backs as a tight end who you know has solid size too this isn't someone who's small you know he's about six 240 245 pounds so I wish he was a little bit more physical, I'll say. I wish he was a little bit more of an adept blocker, but in terms of athleticism and acceleration and all of those receiving traits that you're looking for, I think Prince is somebody that nobody is talking about who kind of caught my eye when I turned on the film.
2: I love it, Nick, and I haven't seen much of Prince at all. Now he's going to be on my sleeper list and somebody who I'm going to look into because I'm I'm all traits, especially when you get to day three at tight end. Eh, screw it. Any position, I'm traits <laughs> by day three. I want upside there. I want to try to bank. I don't need to find any kind of like special teams aces or guys who are great, great linebackers with no tramp, but did don't obviously don't have NFL level athleticism that we've seen some of these teams take in past years. None of that. Give me the traits, guys. And if Prince has them, I'm interested. A couple other sleepers for me that i my attention. I mentioned Kolar, who's a sleeper still, despite being in my top five. And same thing pretty much for Ferguson. Neither of them getting much buzz. but Both expected on day, on day three um, as targets there potentially for the Giants. And I'll give a couple other guys. Cole Turner out of Nevada, who I know you like as well, so I'll let you speak on him. And Derek Deese out of San Jose State. Not getting much hype i remember watching these during the season and being intrigued by some of what he can do and then he just hasn't gotten any hype at all out of san jose state six foot four 235 obviously not your prototypical wide build or anything like that but this is a guy who was in advance was pretty much at, at times some, the the best part of that offense there in 2021 didn't really break out until 21 season but 83 targets, 47 receptions, 720 yards, and four touchdowns with a 15.3 yards per reception, which is huge for the tight end position. Potentially a mismatch. I don't know exactly if I feel like his athleticism translates to the next level. I'm kind of up and down on that. But as far as just the fact that he's getting almost zero buzz, I'm I'm intrigued by him as a sleeper.
1: Yeah, you brought up Cole Turner. Now I only saw one game, and that was against Fresno State. And then I saw him down at the senior bowl. And I thought he had some solid receiving plays against Fresno State where he was over the middle of the field and he high pointed the ball, you know, strong hands, then, you know, finish strongly through contact whole turning down the senior ball. I thought he had receiving skills, but I just don't really have faith in him as a blocker from what I've seen, but I still need to watch a little bit more of Cole Turner, but somebody else that I actually was watching last night that caught my eye was Grant Calcaterra out of SMU. So he's not the most explosive, not the best athlete, but I watched him run routes and I watched his game against Tulane. And there was this, first and 10 play in the second quarter where he ran about a 15 yard dig and this dude legit throttles down and explodes out of his break. Like you see a lot of tight ends run dig routes and it's never a 90 degree angle. You know, it's usually rounded. This dude ran a legit 90 degree angled cut with his momentum going full. That's not something you see too often from tight ends. I got to do a little bit more work on because The only game I watched was that Tulane game, but in that one game, I was like, holy crap, there was a couple of plays there where his routes were really, really crisp, so he definitely caught my eye. That'll catch my attention as well. Again, traits-based,
2: valuations here for me. Um, so let's do it here. Let's recap what we've done before we go on to where we might want to take some of these guys. So for Nick's top five at the tight end position, Trey McBride, Colorado State number one, Jeremy Ruckert, Ohio State number two, Isaiah Likely, Coastal Carolina number three, Greg Dolchitz, UCLA number four, Cade Otten. Washington, number five. For my top five tight ends, Greg Dolchich, number one, UCLA. Trey McBride, number two. And that's where our list changes because those are only two we have the same, which is interesting. Jake Ferguson, Wisconsin, my three. Jeremy – oh, never mind. Sorry, we both have Rucker. Ruckert, my four, out of Ohio State. And then Charlie Kohler, Iowa State, planting a flag there. As far as sleepers go, something to keep an eye on. Austin Allen, Nebraska. Charlie Kohler, Iowa, Iowa State. Cole Turner, Nevada. Derek Deese, San Jose State. Garrett Prince, UAB, and Grant Calcaterra, SMU. All right, Nick, let's transition. Let's do it. Let's wrap this thing up. Are you comfortable taking any of these guys at five and seven overall? No. No. How about 36? No. Same baby. No McBride at 36. Get on that bandwagon. Yeah, dog. How about 67?
1: Probably not. I think well, I would entertain not it. At,
2: not even McBride at 67. I
1: think I would entertain it, but dude, this is a deep class. There's just going to be a lot of other players that I that I really like, and I I don't think the distance between Trey McBride and like my seventh tight end is too stark. If I'm going to be honest, I think McBride is my number one. That's where I have him. But even like a Charlie Kolar and players like that that I've seen a solid amount of film on. Jake Ferguson, I haven't seen a lot of film on yet, but I think I'm going to like him off the film that I did see. So I don't think the distance between those two is all that great. So if you're talking about selecting one in the third round or selecting one in the fifth, I'm going to go with the fifth round pick.
2: Preach, baby. Preach.
1: Preach it, baby. Johnny Schmelk said it. I said it. Nick's
2: saying it now. Don't waste that 67th overall pick on one of these tight ends. Man, I agree with you. I I just don't see it with McBride, I, to, to be honest. like I almost flirted with putting Ferguson over McBride. I've seen a lot of Ferguson. I like a lot of Ferguson. I've probably seen too much of Ferguson compared to McBride. I didn't feel comfortable enough saying that. But, yeah, I'm out on it. I'm out on 67.
1: How about 81? Is there anyone at 81 who you might entertain? Yeah, I think I would entertain my my top five in 81. Okay. Now, I think I want the Y type of tight end. So the, the players that fall into that are Trey McBride, Jeremy Ruckert, and Cade Otten, more so than an Isaiah Likely or a Greg Dulcich. So I think those three I would definitely entertain. I'm a little curious to know what Brian Dable and Mike Kafka are going to want in their tight end. I mean, having a blocker is obviously something that should be desirable for any offensive coordinator, but they could look at a a Dolchik around that time of the draft and think this could be our Dawson Knox type of receiving threat.
2: Dawson Knox was 96 overall, the 32nd pick. So that's kind of this range at 81, though you could say it's almost dead even between 112 where the Giants are going to pick. And 81, that 96 overall pick, Dawson Knox, not much of a blocker, but definitely a weapon for the Bills in that passing game. At 81, I'm considering a few guys here. I'm considering essentially anyone in my top five as well, though I'm not thrilled about it. I would take it. I definitely take Greg Dolchich here, though, and I think I'd take Dolchich at 67. There will be other guys I would consider, especially if there's receivers I like who drop um, and potentially... Safeties or corners who drop, which I again think can happen. Those are the positions I have in mind. You can even say IOL because honestly like if let's say like and I don't think these guys are gonna drop, but potentially some of these guys who I think can kick inside from tackle to guard and be really good guards for the Giants right away. Or within a year or two i probably prefer at 67 but Dolchich is probably the only one i would consider at 67 and i would consider him at 67 because i think he can be a weapon in the passing game pretty early on for the giants or for any team so i just wanted to peel back a little bit and go to 67 because we we kind of we we quickly said no but Dolchich is the one i would consider there now at 112 i assume you're considering just the same players you were considering at 81 is that correct nick
1: yeah. And I think you can throw like the Jake Ferguson's and again, I, I need a little bit more film on him and then maybe even a Charlie Kolar into that situ- uh, conversation too. Yeah, I would take Ferguson for sure at 112. I take Ferguson. 81 is where I,
2: I, I don't know if I take Ferguson or, or I think I'm a little bit different than you at 81. Probably. I guess I should walk that back. I'm not as sold on definitely taking any of those top five at 81. I'm open to it. But I'd have to see who else is there. And I know you're the same. You'd obviously have to see who else is there. But I think there will be probably a few more guys that i rather have at different positions there. Though so I'd be open to it. And then at 112 for sure, I'm I'm in on those guys. Kolar, Ferguson, a lot of those players.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And honestly, dude, and 147, it's going to be like the same thing with, with these sleepers. I think that's where right. you entertain it. Dan, I want to pose this question to you before we get out of here, though. So tight end is a massive position of need. Giants have several picks right now. Would you entertain selecting someone in the fourth round and then a more developmental type of tight end in the sixth round.
2: Oh yeah, for sure. I'm definitely down on doubling up at this position without a doubt for a multitude of reasons like one, we went over it on the last podcast, but these these fifth round picks and on are just total dart throws that miss a lot of the time. two, if you're taking two, it's not necessarily being like we need to get we're gonna find two guys who are gonna definitely be got on our roster in four years and contributors. You could also look at it like we're drafting two guys we're drafting them in the fourth round or later fourth round picks even as well, or have high bus rates. Like if we just hit on one of the two, it's a success. You have to sometimes look at it like that. Like you're not trying to find a player, every single pick you're trying to play the odds in some ways. And you get two developmental tight ends. even if you don't consider Cole or, or Ferguson, if you take them first, a the developmental, all these guys in my mind are developmental, even as far up the ladder for me as my number one guy, Dolchitz. he's also developmental and you get these guys and you take a chance. And if you hit on one, That's good enough, I think.
1: Yes. And I I also wanted to pose a question to you, and I don't know if you've watched film on them, so feel free to say no. But there are two players in this draft that are polar opposites, and we haven't talked about either. One ran the fastest... Time at the combine, and that's Chigzim Okonkwo out of Maryland. And the other one ran one of the slowest tight end times you'll ever see at his pro day, and that is Jalen Widemeyer out of Texas AM. Now, Widemeyer was productive. He watched the Auburn game and it was wildly frustrating because he dropped like three easy passes. But you see the catch radius. You see, I would say I think he's a better blocker than he's given credit for. He's not one that you're gonna be like, oh wow, this guy's dominant, but I didn't see somebody who didn't care which i feel like is something that's been assigned to him he might not be drafted because he ran like a 508 or something in his 40 he legit might not be drafted and then okonkwo is more of a receiving type of dude out of maryland who can't block worth a damn i think okonkwo will go much farther ahead than Widemeyer. but which one of those two two prototypes are you more attracted to
2: I think you nailed it. This is, first of all, a great question. you have back back-to-back good questions, and I'll say that before saying, I think you kind of know what my answer is going to be. I'm curious if you would have guessed this, um, and I think you're right, by the way. <laughs> the Maryland kid's going to go way higher. I am Widemeyer all the way here. Give me the guy who had the worst 40 versus the guy who's only really standing out because of his 40. And I'm not saying that's the only reason. You could see him as a potential receiving threat at the next level. He has traits that project as a receiver, but I'd rather the guy who's just buried by his 40 time because that's necess- not necessarily the best we've we've seen over time the 40yard dash can be a very overrated metric when it comes to projection at the next level
1: it definitely is too and whymeye he doesn't look fast on tape either like you would have looked at him and been like yeah it's like a four eight guy or something I haven't like watched that. much
2: of him to be honest by the way just as trans just to be transparent about it
1: Yeah, he has some productive tape. He has some explosive plays. Like I said, like I didn't hate his tape, but when you run a five, you're gonna drop. And (laughs) when I watched Okonkwo, though, I'm like, this guy, yeah, he's fast and he's exciting, but literally he's just getting tossed aside by like Big Ten edge rushers. (laughs) You're not gonna get
2: on the field if that's you. Like you're just the NFL coaches are gonna be pissed. They're not gonna put you on the field if you're if you're if you're putting that on film against NFL level players, and if you're doing against Big Ten level edges, what the hell is gonna happen when you? an NFL edge.
1: Yeah, and I know he's had medical issues too, Okonkwo. And you know, I'm glad that he was able to come back in 2021 and play that season and everything like that. But you know, if you want an athlete, he's it, but he's undersized, he's gonna be that H back Travis Beckham type of dude. And I'm typically not interested in that. And that's the second shot I took at Wisconsin in this podcast. Dan. That's okay.
2: Some of them are deserved. All right, <laughs> we'll wrap up by saying this look, it looks like pick one number number 112 overall, Giants fourth round. That feels like the sweet spot for tight end in this class for the Giants. It's where I want them to take a tight end as long as not all our guys are off the board. 147, if these guys, some of these guys would like keep dropping, that could be like the really value spot, even sweeter spot. But I do think 112 is the sweet spot. Won't hate 81. Hopefully nothing before that. All right. Thank you to everybody tuning into the Big Boo Banter Podcast. Keep it locked and loaded. More to come in these coming days before the draft. and then a lot to come during the draft. So thanks to everybody. Have a great rest of your week, and we'll talk to you soon.